Welcome to Church Unscripted this week. I'm very excited for this episode because I think we're going to have the fire. I'm not sure what that means yet, but uh, I uh, I know that if you have subscribed, hit the subscribe button below. If you have not, um, hit the notification bell so you can know when the episodes come up on YouTube, as well as like um, this video and comment below if you have comments or questions maybe that we can include in the next episode or further episodes. Um, I have Pastor Eric and Pastor Yule with us. That's why I say bringing the fire. That's how I introduced Pastor Yule on Sunday. Um, I was just talking with him and he's like, he had this towel in his back pocket and we were talking about confession. So I'm thinking he's like going to bring it out and bring the fire or something. I don't know. There was looking for it when he came in. I know. I know. Boom, boom, boom. So uh, can you kind of give us maybe a little bit of a a summary of your sermon from Sunday? Um, Just a little bit of like maybe the big picture. Sure. So, so in Nehemiah, one of the things I loved about chapter 9 is chapter 9 is about confession, right? And I really strongly believe that... Um, you got you to swallow the mic, Yule. You got to swallow yeah. the mic. <laughs> I strongly believe in the 21st century church, we've not done enough to talk about confession. Yeah. yeah. And confession, um, I noticed the pattern in chapter 9. You know, they started with the right attitude. Then they started with the right research. They went to the Word of God. And then um, it led them to the right resolve, which was worship, because that's what God desires for us. Sin keeps us from worship, right, from relationship. And then it results finally in giving you a good positive result. And that is your commitment to following the word of God, because all throughout chapter nine, you kept hearing them say, we took the word of God and we threw it behind our backs, right? Mm -hmm. Today's church in the 21st century through confession and prayer and worship has to get back to the Word of God and making sure that not only are we just reading the Word of God, but we're following it. It's got to be a commitment to it, right? It doesn't yeah. mean we're going to uh, be sinless, but I like to say it means we, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, we sin less. Our relationship is the most yes. important thing to us, and that's our relationship to God. So yeah. that is the really, really for me, that was the big picture out of chapter nine, Eric set it up perfectly last week when he talked about letting the word of God richly dwell within you. I thought Mm -hmm. that was a great explanation that the word of God is your examination, right? It's your internal looking um, so that you can produce an outward income, uh, uh, outward outcome is what I want to say. So it's walking out the word. That's what it is. And so they got into slavery and trouble because they abandoned God's word. And confession brings you back in line with God's word and with your relationship with God. So that's that's a I really appreciate. It. I love I love the message. Um, if if I were new to church, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could help reconcile perhaps some ways that my mind would go off track on this, um, because yeah. what you just said and what the Bible says in Nehemiah is is due to their history of abandoning the word of God, throwing it behind their back, mm-hmm. as you say. Um, that led them into their captivity. Right. And we can understand, biblically speaking, what the rationale for that was. It was a way that God used the captivity to bring them back to him. Absolutely. So with my mind, I could easily go to a place that says, if something tragic happens in my life, it could be a result of sin. And I know that's not always true because that's not... Because right. Jesus actually mentions that in the New Testament. Yeah. Right. They, yep. they approach a guy who has been blind from birth mm-hmm. or lame from birth. And mm-hmm. they ask Jesus, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither, right. but so that the, the, the guy can be glorified. Mm-hmm. So how do we evaluate our circumstances, which might feel like something of a captivity or a crisis? Mm-hmm. And how do we know, is this God's way of addressing past sin in our life to bring us back to him? Or is this something completely different? No, I think it's... It, I'm not so sure it's not both in the same, right? Because God deals with us in relationship on both levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's things from my past that still haunt me, right? Sure. Even though I've been forgiven, even though I've been set free, old habits still creep up, right? But then I think also God allows things to happen to me that he might draw me back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you Are know, you saying God disciplines those he loves? Bingo, there you go. That's the scripture, right? And, and though his discipline can sometimes feel harsh, we have to remember it's not 
just so he can destroy you. I think that's Hollywood. I think that's, um, I believe that that is things that we were taught in our past through legalism, that boy, if you mess up, God's going to get you. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, God isn't surprised by anything that I did, right? So if he wanted to get me, he would have got me a long time ago. And trust me, I've done a lot of things for him to get me for. Right? <laughs> um, but I, I believe God uses our past in order to teach us how to live in our present and prepare for our future. That's the way I like to look at it. Otherwise, why would, why would Paul say these things were written to us yes. as examples, right? So that we might know how to do what? How to live. How to live when? Now and in the future. Yeah. So that we have a relationship with God. And I think that I think what I appreciated so much about your message is the insistence on letting the word of God be the front and center mm -hmm. of our perspective, because it was when the word of God came back into life that they finally understood it was a result of their past sin that led them into captivity. Yep. It could have been their entire time in captivity. They're like, why are we here? Right. I don't understand why God's doing this to me, but it was mm -hmm. the word of God that allowed them to see that perspective, which then if the word of God is not front and center in your life, it's easy to skew your perspective in a, in a very yeah. poor theological manner. For example, I can't tell you how many times people have said the doctor diagnosed me with cancer. Because. Is God punishing me because of my sin? Yep. Or a mother says, I had a miscarriage. Yep. What did I do that made God do right. this to mm -hmm. me? Right. And in that case, not only would it be extraordinarily insensitive and disrespectful, but I also believe theologically wrong to say, well, you sinned, God's punishing you. Mm -hmm. So how do we as shepherds, pastors, help people understand that there are in fact consequences to sin, but it may in fact not be what you think it is. Well, you know what I, I mean? I think part of the problem is our culture. So we attribute it to our individual sin, but what does scripture teach in the Old Testament when, it, when sin entered the garden, sin, death, and destruction was communally felt. Mm -hmm. It wasn't one man, like out of Adam's sin, we all suffer. Mm -hmm. the, the work, the sweat of our brow, you know, as it talks about, yep. every woman suffers in child labor. Mm -hmm. That's what Genesis 3 tells us. So, I mean, it, realistically, it's communal, not individual. So like a miscarriage, yeah, that's the result of sin, but not your sin. There you go. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're, uh, yeah, cancer is because of sin, not your sin. That's right. I, I could say that to anybody pastorally. Yeah. I think the difficulty is that people don't fully understand that. And I would say specifically, if you look at our American culture, individual culture, we don't think of that as communal sin. No. Um, and that's even, I mean, as you were talking Sunday, I thought some people are going to interpret it one way, like you were describing, mm -hmm. where it's mm -hmm. like, it's all about me and my sin versus like, hey, the community, we've sinned you know, together. Um, and I think that's the difference with Nehemiah. This passage is all about the community sinning, not one person or right. all these individuals separately. Right. So, I mean, does that make sense? I, yeah, it does. There's, there's an outlier example of this, and that is the Old Testament example of Achan's sin. I mean, mm -hmm. exactly. he's the one yes. guy in the yeah. entire group yeah. that, that hid some goods, right? That right. God says, destroy it all. Yeah. He's like, yep. I'm going to keep some. Hides it under the ground, under his tent. And the entire community started losing the battle because of yeah. his one sin. That's right. And, and that's hard for me to reconcile. What's also hard for me to reconcile is when like natural disasters happen, like Hurricane Katrina mm -hmm. and just swamp New mm -hmm. Orleans. Yeah. We had people, mostly fundamentalist, very, very legalistic <coughs> Um, people in the church say, well, that's because Las Vegas is so corrupt and right. evil. Right. I'm like, well, how, do you, how can you prove that? Mm, so right. I totally understand from the Nehemiah's perspective how their sin led to the captivity and how the captivity was meant to bring them back to God. Yeah. I don't know how to translate that though to our people in their specific circumstances. Though. Well, and I, I believe one of the things, I love what both of you are saying, and especially when you go back to Genesis, look, we live in fallen bodies. End of story. I, I think the church messes around too much with trying to pretty up things that aren't pretty. Mm -hmm. We live mm -hmm. in fallen bodies. You, your body is going to get diseased. It's going to deal with depression. It's going to deal with all kinds of things. Why? Because of Adam's sin. That's the communal part of it. Yeah. We all inherited these bodies that are, we were not meant to die until Adam sinned. Now we all die, right? Yeah. That's the promise. We're all going to die from something. Mm -hmm. And it's not pretty all the time. I don't have an explanation about why a three-year-old gets cancer and dies. I have no explanation for you. I can beat my brain till I die. There's no explanation for that other than the fact that that body was born into sin. And because of sin, we all die. 
Now, the sensitive part of me says I have to love that person through whatever their circumstance mm. is. Mm. It would be a shame for me to say or try to attach some sin to them. If that were the case, guys, all of us are in trouble because all have sinned. Yeah, we're all in mm -hmm. trouble. We're all in trouble then because we've all sinned. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I know that there's a theological argument about what's a big sin and a little sin. Look, in God's eyes, it's all sin. Well, and, and it's not, I don't think any of us are saying there isn't consequences for sin. 100%. But I think sometimes we're trying to find the consequence right. that maybe isn't a consequence. Right. It's just a result of That's our right. fallen bodies. I mean, you know how people say this, this sounds fatalistic, but there's two things in life that you know, are always constant, death and taxes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of right. fatalistic, yeah. but the thing is, that's a totally secular, godless perspective. In reality, we have hope for eternity. That's right. So that's the difference. And I think anyone struggling with long suffering, whether it be cancer or right. loss of a loved one or grief, yep. I mean, there's hope on the other side of that. Exactly. I mean, we've all lost family members, yep. loved mm -hmm. ones, and yep. we know uh, if they're following Christ, they're with Jesus. That's and that's right. actually an exciting thing. Um, and so, selfishly, I think all of us want more time with our family members. You, no one wants to lose a three-year-old. No one wants right. to lose a teenager. But yeah. in reality, cool. like, if they're with Jesus, I'm like, God, why do you have to do things this way? I don't know. You yeah. know, why did this happen? Mm -hmm. And I, I, also, I also think it's really hard when I read this chapter, mixing that the practicality of cancer and difficulty also with the confession of sin. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so what I, I was yeah. thinking... Eric, in that section that he was talking about, I just kept thinking about the fact that confession doesn't play a role in the church. I mean, that, that seemed to be an emphasis, mm -hmm. the whole sermon almost, mm -hmm. but confession doesn't play a role in the church. But even that confession, you know, like if you were to say to someone, you need to confess your sin, there's some very awkward situations you can very find awkward. yourself in. Sure. Yeah. So 100%. Yeah. Can, can we maybe unpack that a little bit more unless there's more we want to talk about that? I, 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 I just don't know what it's like to confess sin in a practical way. Right. Like, I mean, are we going to have men after this confess to their wives that they lusted after women and yeah. name names? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, sure. yeah. that may not be the healthiest and, thing to do. And, and John, <laughs> right. there are people in counseling circles, in Christian counseling circles especially, and in the pastorate that would say, you absolutely need to do that. I don't necessarily hold to that value. Now, I could mm -hmm. be totally wrong. In fact, it's kind of ironic that you would ask that because a brother called me on Saturday and his discussion was, I've been watching porn and I'm lusting after um, women. And, you know, my wife asked me about it and I told her and I said, I'm not sure, one, that that should be the conversation, number one. And number two, I'm not sure I'm just going to run up to my wife and start confessing my sins about lust. Because, first of all, how does that make her feel? And then I don't have a backup plan. So I just toss it out there like a Scud missile and then what? You and know? if you're not repenting of it. And, so if, and if I'm not even repenting turning. of it, right. I'm not even turning away from it. So now I'm causing issues within my marriage. The better approach would be to get with some of my brothers and confess that I am struggling with this and I need help with how to overcome that. So in a 30-minute message, you don't have time to flesh that out, sure. what it looks like. Right. We do have a little time here. What I think should happen in the, in the 21st century church is when James talks about confessing your faults one to another and praying for mm -hmm. one another, you get with like-minded people who, as, um, as um, Galatian tells us, he that's overtaken in a fault, those of you who are spiritual, here's the Greek for you, at the time, restore. Mm -hmm. So you go to those people who are in spiritual like-mindedness with you. You confess to that person, here's what I'm struggling with with sin. And then you use something else that James talks about, and that's wisdom, who God gives freely. And you get wisdom from that uh, group of people that you have entrusted yourself to and made yourself accountable to, to then direct you on the next steps. Otherwise, the next steps could be very reckless, and could have some very mm -hmm. adverse consequences to it, right? When it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So the proper place to talk about indiscretions with my wife is in a counseling type of situation, not doing an argument where I just throw that out there to her with no context to it whatsoever, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the difference. I, and, and the reason I bring up that scenario is I think that's a common scenario. Very but much I so. mean, even confession in sin in general, I mean, if we had a service where there's confession of sin without the repentance, Bingo. like I feel like confession and repentance are together. <clears throat> and really you talked a lot about 
confession, and this is what they're doing here, but there yeah. was repentance. It I mean, was. they'd already totally. read the word of God. I mean, if you go through Nehemiah, so how do we marry those? So is when that- I when I read the scripture, I, I see that there's two forms of confession. One of them is, I would say, individualistic and micro. The other is more communal and macro. And so yeah. when I read the New Testament, um, Paul says, you know, confess your sins to one another in order that you might be healed. Mm-hmm. So I don't see that person getting on the stage of Brookside and saying, here's how I blew it this week. Right. I'll be here for about <laughs> right. 10 hours every That's week, right? right? Yes. And one That's after right. the other. That's right. It's, it's more of... Uh, I'm struggling with something and I see you as a trusting person who is not just trustworthy, but you're also able to give me good biblically based Holy Spirit advice. Mm -hmm. And so now my confession lands on a place that there can actually be healing. 100%. And so now I confess to you, hey man, I've been struggling with something. That's right. And now you can hold me accountable. That's right. But I think there's also Mm -hmm. like what we're reading in Nehemiah, communal sin. And I want to make the difference because the likelihood of all of these people listening to Nehemiah, who was actually a part of Israel when they sinned, Mm -hmm. that whole generation was dead. That's right. They have been in captivity for long enough that everybody who was a part of pre-captivity Israel is already gone. So they're not the people who did the sin, but they're a part of the community who did the sin. That's right. So when we as a church say, you know what, we as a church and leadership believe we've kind of gotten away from the word of God, Mm -hmm. um, from the character of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And together as a church, we're going to recognize that and together confess it, and then how do we get back on That's track? Right. So there's a difference between communal confession and 100%. individual confession. Yeah. At least that's the way that I see it. No, and, and that's good because if you think about the illustration that I gave in the sermon of the young lady who came up and confessed her yeah. sin through Midnight Musical, let me clarify that just a little bit. She didn't give us the specifics of her sin. Mm. Uh, and she didn't get up there and say, you know, I've been practicing fornication or any other sin. I've been a liar or whatever. She didn't mm-hmm. do that. She... You could sense in her heart that she was feeling the weight of sin in the world, in herself, mm-hmm. within the church, wherever. That's what you're talking about, the communal kind of thing. Well, we all recognize that before our holy God, we are sinful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we want repentance for that, right? And we want to move forward. That was her heart. It would have been, I believe, I think it's very irresponsible for Pastor Ewell, Eric, or John to get on this microphone and say, you know what, fellas, I got to tell you something about my sin. And I start going into the details of that sin. That's inappropriate because a couple of things can happen out of that. One, you're going to cause hurt to others who aren't here to give a voice to that or context to it. And two, again, I have to question if I'm that open and doing what, is that just... I feel bad about it, or is it true repentance? Or is it even intention-seeking? Yes, or is it intention-seeking? Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 7.10, listen to this. For godly grief, some translation says godly sorrow, or uh, produces a repentance that leads to what? Salvation. There's your difference. Is it going to lead you to salvation or not? And then he goes on to say, whereas worldly grief produces death. Well, why does worldly grief produce death? Because I'm sorry I got caught. There is no repentance with that. There could be some self-seeking motives in that as well. And so Paul lays it out really clear. What are we seeking here? We're seeking salvation that leads us to more relationship with God. Not just putting ourselves out front so we can say, oh, look at me, you know. I can confess my sins in front of everybody. So that makes me in some cases better than everybody else. No, that may not be a wise choice. Well, and Eric, you said something when you were quoting scripture and it talks about the confession leading to healing. Yes. I think there's something to that. Like my, one of the most powerful services as I was listening to you Mm -hmm. Sunday, one of the most powerful services I've ever been in is where the leadership team of a church went before the whole church and said, hey, we know there's been mistakes made in the past. Mm. It wasn't even the people that were standing on stage in leadership that made the mistakes. We know we've made mistakes. We want to repent of that. And we want to draw you into repentance. And the passage was about it. So, I mean, it flowed. It wasn't like just sticky. Like even confession can be sticky if if the passage speaks of it, like Nehemiah chapter nine. And so I I think the thing that sometimes we're missing is... Um, those people that are in a habitual confession. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe I've seen them, yes. Maybe, maybe this is the discussion that we can have today is yeah. how, how do we relate to others that it seems like every week it's the same story. Yep. It doesn't change. Yep. It's 
It's, well, I struggled this week with this, or I struggled this week with that. I mean, we've talked a lot about guy issues, mm -hmm. but I think there's just as many issues for women that are like that. Yes. Yeah. You'll nailed it on the head, though, when I think the answer is what you'll said in this message. I even wrote it down. You asked it in a question. You mm -hmm. said, uh, how uncomfortable are you with sin? Yeah. And I think the reason you said that is because we can very easily get comfortable with it. Now, mm -hmm. theologically, we know it's wrong. Right. And every time we commit sin, we feel the regret and remorse from it, yep. right? Yep. However, we get to a point where we're either so deceived or we're so convinced that we cannot thrive without that sin. Yep. We can't be entertained without yep. that sin. Yep. We can't feel worth without that sin. And so even though I know it's wrong, even though I know what it, hate what it does to me, I, it's almost a part of my life now. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think the reason is not mm -hmm. because there's no power in the cross. Right. It's not because the Holy Spirit can't right. lead you out of it. It's because mm -hmm. honestly, I kind of still want my sin. I'm unwilling. Yeah. Um, I'm dealing with a close um, person right now. And we're talking about the fact that you're living with a woman in sin, open sin. And the response is, well, I just want to be happy. Well, my response back to that <laughs> is you have to be happy in Jesus alone. Okay, so here's the scripture. Oh, it's not scripture. Here's the thought. This isn't scripture, but it's the thought. The Bible is not here for you to change the Bible. The Bible is here to make a change in you. And so when you say that, Eric, it is 110% true. How many people have we met with week after week? I mean, we're talking weeks who have made and told us the same story, but have made zero change in that circumstance. I would have to question then whether you're truly repentant if you haven't made any change. Because if you recall, at the end of all of that, they made a commitment. Mm -hmm. We, our priests, our governors, our leaders, we are going to sign this piece of paper saying we commit to not doing this again, right? And so mm -hmm. where is that commitment from us individually and corporately, uh, from a corporate standpoint or a communal standpoint to stand and say, okay, we're going to uphold the bloodstained banner. What God says we're going to follow. We're not going to be perfect in that. We get it. But for the most part, I am going to make it my effort to sin less by following the Holy Spirit. But, but you'll, you'll, that's not attractive. Obedience is not attractive. No. So, so, so essentially, how do we make the appeal of sin mm -hmm. less appealing than the gospel? And I, I know that the Holy Spirit does that because mm -hmm. sin is so deceptive sure. and brings sin, death, and destruction. Yep. When, you were, when you were talking Sunday, you gave three breakdowns. I actually wrote down the same question that you just said. How uncomfortable are you with your sin? Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that we start saying things in our mind like everyone's doing it. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I've heard other guys say that they're doing this or yeah. other other women are doing this. It's no big deal. Yeah. And we start s spreading these lies and it actually starts in our mind. Mm -hmm. In our mind, we get become convinced intellectually through understanding the Bible like, well, the Bible's all about sinners and I'm still a sinner, so why do I need to change? Mm -hmm. And then the transformation of the gospel is not evident in our lives. 100%. And so we have a bunch of people that at some point for professed faith, had a confession, mm -hmm. confessed Christ, mm -hmm. and then kind of almost backpedal. I mean, I didn't know this was going to go there, but you quoted one of my favorite verses on Sunday, 1 John 1, 9, mm -hmm. because that was my dad's life verse. And yeah. that's how my dad was saved because he's like, wait, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And, and yeah. there's that second part, yeah. cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes. I think there's a lot of forgiveness yep. and there's not a lot of cleansing yeah, because can. we choose to say, right. I don't need that. I think the difficulty with that today, and I think it's increasingly true, is that to confess sins, to acknowledge sin, is to deny your identity in today's culture, especially yeah. with like yeah. the LGBTQ yeah. community. And I've heard what you said on, on and I had, it reminded me of a story, and I'm, I'm a little bit nervous to share the story, mm -hmm. and I don't have permission to use names, uh, so I'm going to speak gener generally about it. Go ahead. So recently... Um, had a conversation uh, with a friend of ours um, about how um, their their son um, is stepping into transgenderism mm -hmm. because they have struggled throughout their their a long part of their life with wondering about their sexual identity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so this parent who is a believer um, has struggled through that as well, and so they've talked to uh, different pastors and read different books, um, and and what they came to the conclusion of is. I moved 
years ago from being don't associate with that, uh, yeah. don't acknowledge mm-hmm. it, all the yeah. way to I'm going to fully embrace it. And I, I, don't, I don't like either one of those extremes, right. but what it feels like in them referencing Psalm 139 where it says, I have been um, you know, made in the image of God. I've been woven together in my mother's womb and all that kind of stuff. I think, it, I think now that this is a conversation of identity as opposed to here's what sin is. Right. Sin is no longer separate from who you are as a person. Right. So mm-hmm. if we as a church say we need to confess sins and say, this is wrong, this is not right, um, what we're actually asking people to do from their perspective is deny who they are as a person. Right. And I think that's why it's so difficult now. Yep. And so I think if we can, the only way we can do that well is if the word of God is the foundation and the standard for right. all of us. Yeah. Because if it's not the standard for you, then we're not going to have a fruitful conversation. Well, well we don't even have an argument. Like yeah. you can't argue with someone that has a different basis for what they're arguing, the moral standard yeah. at all. Yeah, we, 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 we have too many times where we expect unregenerate people to act regenerate. Mm-hmm. The only thing that makes you and I regenerate is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin and the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Mm-hmm. I argue all the time, without those two factors, you become a beast. You, you do anything and everything that comes to your mind, right? What holds us back from sin? It's the, it's the Word of God, the blood of Christ that cleanses and the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you don't do any of those things. But you, you hit a very serious point, Eric. And I had this conversation with um, a lot of my friends in life. I've got several friends in life who are homosexual. Um, the, the argument that we get is, yes, that argument I hear from them all the time. This is how God made me. Um, I'm happy with being who I am and so forth. But then there is my Christian friends who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they still struggle with uh, homosexuality. I, I'm going to toss the name of a favorite, uh, one of my favorite uh, artists out there in, in contemporary Christian uh, black gospel, Donnie McCurkin, who is an amazing singer. But what's more amazing is his story. Donnie McClurkin will tell you, I have struggled with homosexuality all of my life. It's been a struggle. For him, it's been because of some family issues that came into his life early on that caused this for him. Mm-hmm. But he will tell you, I recognize that this is a sin. I choose not to practice my sin. Even though I struggle with it, I choose not to practice that. Mm-hmm. I choose to follow Jesus Christ and what he says in his word. There's your difference. When the word becomes your standard, you can acknowledge your sin. It doesn't mean that you practice your sin. I would argue that all of us have something that we struggle with. It may be different for you, it may be different for me and different for you, but we all have that sinful thing that the Bible has called sin. And we struggle with compromising, trying to justify. We do all of that. We can but make it, we can make up we things can, in our mind, man. Up, you said it, it starts right up here in my head. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm going to pick on the common one, which is pornography. Well, you know, nobody knows I'm watching this, so who am I really hurting? Not realizing why well, you're hurting your relationships with your spouse or your, your significant others. Um, we know that for the people that's in that industry, often think about this. Um, as the church, we're not reaching those people, so some of those people are dying and being lost and going to hell as a result of their sins. Um, but my point to you is we all have something that we are struggling with. The enemy is coming at us with these temptations. However, we make choices all the time not to sin. Mm-hmm. But what we're not doing is saying that is not a sin. Well, I didn't say it was a sin. You heard me say this Sunday. Don't get mad at me. I didn't, I'm not the one that said it. And I'm okay if you get mad at me yeah. because that brings conversation and we can talk through that. But the Bible is the one that said it, not me. God's standard has to be the one that we start with because you're right, Eric. If we don't start with God's standard, his word, then you're all over the place. And by the way, in society, are we not all over the place? Well, I, we think, really I think are. we have to be careful what our role is as leaders in the church. And when I read the Bible, especially John 14, 15, and 16, even 17, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what I hear Jesus say is, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Right. And one of the things the Holy Spirit is going to do is convict the world of sin. That's so right. our role is not to convict the world of sin. No. It's not our job to look at you and be like, hey, uh, I'm going to call out all of your sin right, right now and put it on One the table. Way. That's not our job. Our job is to hold out the word of God yep. and let the Holy Spirit do in every one of us what he needs to do based yep. upon our circumstances. So, so if we start calling out sin in people's life, 
and that's prior to the Holy Spirit bringing the conviction, all we're going to do is be offensive. That's all. But if the Holy Spirit uh, is convicting the world, including myself of sin, then all of a sudden the word of God becomes this loving anchor of hope 100%. that I can hold on to. So 100%. If, if there's somebody at Brookside or any church, what I'm hoping that they're hearing is we are not identifying you by your sin or no, by no. your sexuality or anything Amen. because we're not identifying ourselves. Biblically speaking, we're all made in the image of God. And right. so your identity is wrapped up in who Jesus is. Amen. But what that doesn't mean is, is we can't be corrupted by sin. That's right. And so mm-hmm. our goal is not to tear down your identity is to set you free from whatever the sin is. And it doesn't have to, the hot buttons are homosexuality, oh, transgender, yeah. oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But if you're an alcoholic, we want you to know that's not your identity. No. Your identity is in Jesus, That's and right. our goal is to help you f- help you find freedom in Jesus. Man, I love that. And so um, I'm hoping that, that encourages people, but yeah. it's it's a sticky situation as soon as your sin, whatever it is, becomes <laughs> mm-hmm. your identity. And, and you know, I, I have a I have another friend. They're always talking about sin. So the other day we're in this conversation. I get this phone call, and it's all about you know how God punishes. And I say, you know, you're asking the wrong question. First of all, as a Christian, why are you always worried about how God is going to punish you? Because I don't, by the C- way. Because their parents punished them. They that's don't. that's what it happened. It's yeah. the messages we get from legalism. It's the messages we get from our parents. It's the messages that we get from uh, whatever influence that's in our lives. And that that's their thoughts about it. When I come up to a brother or sister at church or on the street or whatever, my first thought is, and what sin are you committing? That's not my first thought. I'm just happy to see you, right? Yeah. And, and the church has to adopt just what you're saying. It's hard to have these conversations, and we get caught up in the throes of passion when we're preaching and teaching and doing all of that. But in our everyday walk with people, we have to love people where they are because that's what Jesus does. He loves you where you are. That's why the Bible says, but do what? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't allow people to grow. It does not concern me that you're struggling with the sin to the point where I'm going to say I'm never talking to you again. Mm -hmm. No, I want that conversation because the best comment that I've gotten from a brother is, it it made me laugh when he said, he said, you know what, Pastor, I love going to lunch with you because you're just so real. He says, I thought you was perfect, man. I see you on stage. I'm looking at him like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Talk to my family. I'm sure they would dispel all of that for you, right? (laughs) Um, But he said, it's because he doesn't see, we call it upfront ministry because we're always on somebody's stage, right? Yeah. We don't see people in that arena as being because you're up there, you're constantly talking about Jesus and you love the Lord. And it somehow, mm-hmm. somehow for him, it came across as you must be perfect and I got all these problems. Mm-hmm. Well, he realized under, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. Mm-hmm. We all have sinned. Again, I have to say it and come short of God's glory. But But understand us when we as men of God present the word of God, we're not walking up to you automatically assuming that you are caught in some sin. That's not what we do. And by the way, if you are, but people, we're going to love you through that. And do, but don't people feel that heat sometimes? Oh, of course they do. Oh, yeah. Of course you know? they do. I think, we, I think do. we have to make a distinction though between there are consequences to sin and then there's the punishment for sin, right? right? So when people say, God's punishing me for my sin, then I'm thinking, well, then what was the purpose of the cross? Because exactly. Jesus take the punishment 100%, for sin on himself. 100%. So why am I getting punished? However, the other side of that coin is, there's still consequences. That's right. So if I'm am I addicted mm-hmm. to something, there's going to be consequences. Right. I might lose my job. That's right. I might lose my family. That's right. In fact, that's I think when I read Nehemiah, what I'm hearing is is more consequences of sin as opposed to maybe punishment for sin, um, because they stepped out of God's plan for their right, their yeah, culture, right. their society. That's right. And the result was they it led them to captivity. And and, and so. for generations, there yeah. are things that happen that isn't the result of what you and I did. But genera- if you have an abusive father or mother, and that person abused you all of your life the chances of you you have two courses you can take out of abuse right you either be healed and help others through their abuse or you become an abuser Mm -hmm. the person who becomes an abuser 
can pass that abuse on generationally, right? Because they keep committing that same thing over and oh, yeah. over again. And so then their kids learn that. People often ask me uh, questions about why God killed all of those babies in the Old Testament. Well, babies grow up and become adults. God doesn't have a past, present, future. He can see all things, wow, you right? You opened a can of worms. I did, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Wow. I did. <laughs> not afraid of it. Let's, let's tackle it. I'm not afraid of it. But those kids grow up and they become like their parents. That's a cultural thing, right? And so even as in Christianity, if your mom and dad are Christians, you grow up and chances are you're going to become what? A Christian. Chances are you're probably not going to become another faith. You're probably going to walk in the faith of your parents. And so knowing that there is generational things that happen to people mm -hmm. that aren't caused by God. They're just the consequences of things being passed on. The problem is we keep trying to attach all of that to God. Why did God do this to me? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not sure God is specifically doing that to you, right? But if I go out and I start having, I start fornicating, for instance, and the result of that is a pregnancy, did God do that to me or is that the result of my actions that God told me not to do in the first place? That's the, that's the simple question. Well, and, and I, think, I think the question out of that that I have is, you know, maybe all of us can answer this. How do we break generational sin? And there I, I feel, I feel the like that's the, that's the issue that even here. Issue. Communally, yes. they broke a generational, they broke a generational, sin. generational sin. They didn't necessarily sin. But they were continuing to sin in that yep. because that's all they ever knew. And so, like, I, I look at my family history. If mm -hmm. you go back in my, my family tree, you go back just two generations mm -hmm. and there isn't believers. There's a lot, of, a lot of destruction. There's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of different things that were happening in that generation. And then my parents got saved before they had me. And all of a sudden... I'm a pastor, two generations. My dad was a postal worker, right. you know, right. and the redemption that you see yeah. in that. And yeah. I think a lot of us can have stories like that, but we don't even see it. Or we don't take stands as men and women of God to say, hey, I'm going to break the generational sin in my life. I'm going to stop being like them, yeah. that, that my past yeah. does not determine my future because the gospel changes it. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the thing that I think... Maybe sometimes we miss. I'm about to preach here. So that's, oh, I just, I, the generational sin is something that I am super passionate about because yeah. I think accepting responsibility is the way to repentance. Yes. Saying I sinned, I did this, mm -hmm. no excuses. Mm -hmm. God's redeemed me. I'm doing something different now. Yep. I'm going to be a different person because Jesus has transformed my life. There you go. And that's, I mean, it's, it's flat out. That's, that's just what needs to happen in people's lives. And, that's and by, the way, by the way, we don't have to go very far from our topic to talk about that. How many times did those that were reading the Bible said, our fathers did, our fathers did, right? Oh, it's that's the past always. generations. But we are going to choose to do something different than what our fathers did. They threw your word behind them. We're going to go right back to your law. Yeah. This is, and boy, what a revival out of that. This is why I think Paul encourages Timothy in the New Testament to remember the faith. Yes. It was first in your mother and then in your grandmother. Perfect scripture, Eric. Um, and so now if, if you establish a culture in your, this is probably why our vision is so powerful. And mm -hmm. that is to build Jesus-centered homes. That's right. right. Yep. Um, and if your home is so saturated by the gospel with Jesus at the center, then all of a sudden you've got before you generations in front of you. That's right. That are going to be Jesus-centered. If it may be, it's not guaranteed. I know people no. can make their own decisions, That's right? right? Um, mm -hmm. But you have the foundation and the culture uh, that can establish that. Sure. So, uh, John, I really appreciate that you um, you got a little bit of a soapbox right there. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I love it. Even though even though God might not be punishing me for my sins because Jesus did, it is still incumbent upon us to say, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. Instead yeah. of in watering down sin to be something less That's than right. what it really is, to say, I know I've sinned. Yeah. There's not true confession or repentance or freedom from it until we do. Mm -hmm. And if, if we water down sin, then we water down the value and purpose of the cross. 100%. And Jesus did not need to die for watered down sin. No. Well, and it, it's become so, we've, we're so callous to the weight of the sin yeah. that I've gone to people and I say, hey, you'll, you know, I sinned against the other week. I said this mm -hmm. or I did this mm -hmm. and it was in anger or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And usually when I've gone to someone and confessed my sin to another and repented of it and asked forgiveness, they're just like, oh, that was no big deal. We're so we callous to how yes. people treat each other yeah. that we lose sight of it. And so when I do that, I can tell you most of the time I ask forgiveness from others, they're just like looking at me funny. Like, yeah. like, oh, okay. I mean, recently I called someone even and I said, hey, 
I said this to you and that was completely out of turn and I shouldn't have said it that way. Yeah. I was sinning, whether you saw it or not. Yeah. It was not nice. It was not kind. Yep. You know, and they were just like, it's okay, man. Like they didn't know what to, they no, didn't give me forgiveness. No, they just said, it's okay, man. I'm like, I'm like, because what? It becomes very awkward for people to hear folks accept responsibility. But isn't that what confession is though? Mm -hmm. Yes. It is saying exactly what God says about my sin. That's all it is. If God says it's wrong, I'm telling you it's wrong. That's all it says. It's, it's not, it's not putting myself up on a pedestal and making myself this superhuman Christian because I can say to you I'm wrong. Because there's something watered down even in that, right? And yeah. we've talked about it. The serial confessor, right? Mm -hmm. Who yeah. land in our offices every other day and they got the tears and everything else. Yeah. And I've seen and you tell them what they need to do to, to repent. And then tomorrow they go right back. As a matter of fact, they leave your office and go right back and do the same thing all over again. That's right. And so that's not what God is talking about. You have got to have some change in your life. Something has to be reflected on the outside that shows what's happening on the inside. You know, I wrote something down that you said, and I really liked it. Mm. Um, you said that, um, where is it? Uh, the change on the inside needs to show on the outside. Mm -hmm. and, and I like that because what came to my mind is what Jesus said. He's not interested in you worshiping when there's a sin over your head. That's, That's right. why in Matthew, he says, if you're worshiping and you Leave remember that, that you've got a sin against Leave somebody else, stop worshiping, yep. go and reconcile, which yep. includes confession That's and right. repentance yep. and humility and forgiveness and freedom. Yep. And then you come back. That's right. And he's saying, it's not that I can't be worshiped when there's sin. It's just that you can't worship right. if you're allowing sinning, allow sin to overwhelm yeah. your life. Because what's the two important things in Christianity that Jesus said the whole Bible's written on? Loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. If those things are out of order, nothing else happens after that, yeah. right? Yeah. You wanted to say something. No, I just, I just kept, well, I, I was thinking when he said that, how many times do we walk into service and that's not the case? Right. right. Like, and how can we contribute to a culture here at Brookside of that, of an openness. I mean, I, I, I've done a communion service once and I, the reason it impacted me, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been in a communion service. Mm -hmm. It's probably mm -hmm. hundreds, thousands, I don't know. And the communion service that impacted me the most was one where it was right now, we're going to give you five minutes. Yep. And that five minutes is for you to go to people in this room that you have sinned against or you're holding grudges or you're whatever. And Guess what happened the first three minutes? This is what drove me nuts. No one moved. Nobody moves. Nobody moved, right? It's that awkward. The, moment, last, right? the last two minutes, a teenager, not an adult, wow. like not a full adult, wow. walked over to someone else. And wow. then all of a sudden the floodgates. You broke up. And then it was like, well, we can't do five minutes. We got to do 50. <laughs> you know, but I think, I think, in, right? some, I think yes. in some ways yes. there's, there's something that comes when there's unrepentant sin or unconfessed sin. And that leads to resentment if it's relational, mm -hmm. and then it leads to bitterness. Mm -hmm. And then when you're at the point of bitterness, that's literally like the lens of bitterness affects your entire relationship with your savior yes. and with others. So yep. when, we, when we don't, we diminish the relational impact horizontally, we don't realize that that affects our, our vertical relationship with God mm -hmm. um, and how we impact the world. I, I do have a question We've been, we've had such a free flowing conversation. You'll, I'm gonna you gotta have you back on here. So so this question. By the way, by the way John, I'm glad you're a part of this team at Brookside because this would be the questions in the conference room all the time. We sit there for hours just trying to solve the questions. Well, fun. this is great, man. It's this really is great. Fun, yeah. So so I think I think if I were to practicalize a lot of what we've talked mm -hmm. about. So in what ways can external behaviors or activities reflect genuine repentance and genuine confession? Mm -hmm. what, what, what activities or external behaviors you know, do you I, see? I'd like that question because I think in, in any kind of organization or community, the way that uh, a practice is embedded into the culture is exampled by the leadership. Mm -hmm. And so we've just worked through our staff code. And one of those things is we engage in healthy conflict. Mm -hmm. yeah. The reason we use that mm -hmm. language is because conflict that doesn't intentionally become healthy will inevitably become toxic. Amen. And yes. so we want to avoid Amen. toxic conflict all the time. Amen. The reality is, and I hope, I hope nobody believes that 
there's ever a team out there that never has conflict. That's just the nature of being a part of a well, team. Well, and, and the, conflict the is good. Conflict yes. is good, right? And if, and if that team exists, it's not a very good team. It's not a good team. Yeah, there's it's no conflict. It hides everything, right? <laughs> yep. So it's when we as a leadership over Brookside have conflict with each other, mm-hmm. it's are we engaging with it in a healthy way where there is confession, mm-hmm. where there is acknowledgement of wrongdoing. You both come to the conversation with humility and grace for each other. Yep. And on the other side of that, you find freedom and healing. 100%. And I think when the culture of the church discovers that's what the leadership is doing with each other, then they'll begin perhaps to be convinced to do that with each other as well. So it's healthy conflict and healthy confession. And I think it's also practices, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, and and you heard me say this on Sunday, it is making an effort to be around other believers, right? Whether that's in a small group, whether that's in a corporate setting like Sunday morning service or any other services that you get to, um, that is very encouraging and healthy in and of itself. Because when I'm isolated and alone, I get a chance to hide my sin a little easier. If I know I'm coming to talk with my brother, I had a a couple of friends in Bible college. Well, well, pause for a second before you tell your story. So you just said, if I'm alone, I hide it. Mm -hmm. So is, is confession a corporate thing? Or can the individual do it's, it? See, it's, is that- it's both. So you do have to have individual confession that's entering to your secret closet because God knows everything. That's me getting on the same relationship with God, right? Okay. I am saying the same thing, God, that you are saying about my sin. So I'm confessing my sin to God, right? That's John 1, 9. If we yeah. confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then James talks about the corporate part of it, right? When I'm among other believers who hold me accountable, because listen, let's get this straight, guys. We're not individuals. We're part of the body of Christ. So what I do affects what you do. Right. And what you do affects what I do. That's what makes this body wonderful. Right. We're not individuals. We're part of a body. We're part of a a system that Christ has put together within us that binds us together. This is why Paul says, if you can't judge these small things on earth, how can you judge angels in heaven? Right. We are supposed. I hate it when people say we're not supposed to judge. Oh, yes, you are. Go to John and see what Jesus says. You need to judge correctly. That's the difference. What we don't do is condemn. Because if you see you sitting in a restaurant with somebody that's not dead, and I'm locked in lips with that person, I fully expect you to judge me. Well, and I won't just judge you. I'll slap you. There you go. Like, <laughs> you. Can I see you, right? Yeah, get out I of here. Fully, because you can't say you love me if you're going to leave me in that condition. Right. You can't ignore that. You got to call me to account because accountability breeds love. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I do believe very strongly that there are some habits that you have to put in place. One of them is the corporate and individual confession and being around other believers. The other is spending daily time in God's word. How does the word richly dwell within you if you never bother to pick it up and read it? Start somewhere. I suggest you don't start with Lamentations or Deuteronomy <laughs> or Numbers. You know, start somewhere like Mark or John. You know, get some easy book to start with, but start. There's so many apps out there. The Bible app is one of the greatest ones. I read it every morning, and it even has a little devotional in it with prayer and all of that, which is pretty cool to get you in that habit of being with God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just being with God. Um, and then I, I believe also you need to have some kind of accountability person in your life, somebody that you can go to and quite frankly, just talk about your dirty laundry because we all will sin. That person is going to hold me accountable, love me through it, but then give me some strong advice on how to overcome because that's the ultimate Mm -hmm. uh, way we want to do that. And then I gave three ways, some things you ought to stop doing. Again, stop going to places that you know will produce sin within you, stop hanging around people that do that, and stop listening to voices that'll do that for so, you. So are you telling guys that are struggling with lust to get flip phones? Because that's what I'm yes. hearing too. <laughs> and you know what? Eric and I have a, a good friend, uh, Brandon Riss. He pulls out his phone, and I look at him, I say, what is that? <laughs> I pick all, them all the time. Man, all it, yeah. all it does is take phone calls and maybe a text message. Outside yeah. of that, it does nothing. I yeah, think yeah. it's called a simple phone. It's called something. a light phone. Now, to be clear, he, I know we know him well. He's sure. not doing that because he struggles. No, but not at he all. He doesn't want to not do an email. He doesn't do all. He, he wants phone, to be right? pre- when he's yeah. talking to you. He wants to be present. So, right? Brandon, in case you're listening, in we case don't you listen, we don't think you're. <laughs> 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 <laughs
<laughs> in fact, we're, we're actually extolling That's the right. fact that you are shutting off your yeah. phone and being present when we talk to you. That's so it. we appreciate that. But, but if that is something that helps you, because to be honest with you guys, in this technology society we live in, and listen, I'm not just going to go to porn because we pick on that too much. Everybody yeah. doesn't deal with porn, right? But there's other stuff you deal with. What about Facebook? You heard me say it on Sunday. There is more gossip, which is sinful, and more relationships hurt and disturbed by Facebook. I'm yeah. shocked at the dirty laundry people put on Facebook about other folks. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's very hurtful. Yeah. And, and the, we're talking the, about the, Christian the, people. The passive aggression the that passive people have aggression. towards yep. other people. Yep. And we sin. Just because you didn't say something verbally yep. doesn't mean you didn't sin against That's a brother or sister in Christ. 100%. Yeah. You know, uh, certain television. Eric has uh, challenged us as a staff about watch what you watch on TV. You know, certain TV things have an influence on you. I strongly remember back in when COVID first started, it was the most, but I remember telling Eric, dude, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. We never fall out over flu, but man, we lost our minds over COVID. There are family members still not speaking to each other today yeah. because of their beliefs about what happened during COVID. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we allow these influences to come, political influences, whether you're on the left, right, or in the middle, those things have separated mm -hmm. us. So you have to be very careful that your measurements stick and the things that you choose to let richly dwell within you don't outclass the Bible. Yeah, yeah. The Bible has think, to be your standard. One of the things that, um, that kind of a theme that I'm, I'm coming away with from Nehemiah chapter nine, and this, mm -hmm. this might be a good, I don't know what time we have. This might be a good either. way to so wrap good. this up. Yeah, but, I've just, yeah. I've but, just been uh, loving it, man. We uh, can keep going. I think we could go for six hours. Isn't that what he said Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> six hours? This will be the actually, longest actually, church actually, unscripted. Actually, let me clarify for my two brothers here. That was just six hours of confession. There was uh, another six hours of worshiping in the other so it's actually 12 hours, just for the record. Hey, listen, listen, you bring me snacks, I'll be there with you, okay? That's right, food, right. food. Yeah. So what I, what I realize is sin loves to thrive in secrecy and in the Amen. darkness. That's why Amen. scriptural, the theme is not just that the Bible, but the church itself is the light of the world. That's he says, right. you are the light of the world. That's right. When light pierces the darkness, the things that hide in the darkness are revealed and exposed Amen. and they Amen. lose their power. Amen. And that's sin. Sin thrives, it keeps its power in secrecy and in darkness. Mm -hmm. Confession, humble confession, brings it to the surface out mm -hmm. in the open and it loses its power. Amen. And so confession is not just, I screwed up. Confession Amen. is a weapon against the power of sin. Amen. And so I don't know if that's a place to wrap up, but I'll, I think that I'll leave it. To it's you. a good place, but I want to throw one more thing out for those that are looking at this. Also love what he said. I'm not saying, but I'm saying yes. And when you do that, the church has to come with grace and love. We have yes. to stop this. Let's beat the person down. If I'm brave enough to tell you that I'm struggling, please be courageous enough to love me through it mm -hmm. and help me without beating me up or misusing me. And I think we all know what we mean. Yeah. You know, I come and confess my sins and then all of a sudden you're putting me out to church. That's not the idea. That only happens when I refuse to make a change and we, that's a whole nother topic. But for this topic, I love what Eric is saying. The, Get rid of that secrecy and let it come out so that you, because James's admonition to us is that you might be healed. And that is the total thing that we want to see happen yeah. for all of us, right? Yeah, that absolutely. we walk in healing, not in it, destruction. And a huge part of that to add, a, mm -hmm. a, in addition to that, is when someone's being vulnerable with you and mm -hmm. confessing their sin to you, mm -hmm. you you should feel honored that they would be willing Amen to do that. To and that's why the grace and love so just has to happen um, yeah. so easily. Amen. Thank you so much for being with yeah, us at Church Unscripted. Yule. Yule. Good to have you with it. us today. Yeah, so glad you're with us. If you enjoyed uh, today's episode or if you watched other episodes, please hit the subscribe button. Um, hit the notification bell so you see the next episode come up. And definitely, definitely like this episode if you like it. Give us comments. Um, we definitely would love to have Yule up here again sometime. And so um, we're really excited uh, for the future of the rest of the Nehemiah series. Mm -hmm. And we love having you with us this week.